Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. I'm going to guess that when you hear the word minister, when you read the title minister, there's a certain image that comes to your mind. Somebody who looks a certain way, dresses a certain way, you have an image that comes to mind of who that minister is. I actually read about a man who went to the airport to meet the visiting minister coming to speak at his church that weekend. He had been sent by the pastor. He didn't know this person. So he was watching as passengers came out into the area where he was standing until he finally he spied the minister. He was sure it was the minister. He went over and said, pardon me, sir, are you a pastor? And the man said to him, no, I'm sorry, it's my ulcer that makes me look this way. <laughs> uh, ouch. <laughs> But you have an image that comes to mind, not only how they look, but maybe how they conduct themselves, how they behave, what they like and what they don't like. It reminds me, I went back digging through until I found it, of a piece written quite some years ago now by Charles Swindoll, the well-known radio preacher and author and pastor. Swindoll writes this, I could fill a book with amazing stories of stuff people have done and said shortly after they learned I was in the ministry. One fellow sitting next to me on a plane during the mealtime nervously changed his request from a Bloody Mary to a ginger ale, whispering to me in a sweat that he really meant to order that in the first place. I told him, don't worry, I don't mind what you drink, which he thought was a hint, and in a panic, he ordered me a Bloody Mary. When I declined, he decided to change seats. In his hurry, he spilled his meal all over me. Sometimes it's just easier to tell folks I'm an author. But then they want to know what kind of books I write, and that leads to another Bloody Mary ginger ale episode. I will never forget the time I was walking toward a hospital preparing to make a hospital call. As I approached the entry, her husband, the patient's husband, was just leaving. On his way out the door, he lit up a cigarette, then glanced up and suddenly recognized me from a distance. I smiled and waved. He nervously waved back and was at an absolute loss to know how to hide the cigarette from me. Still holding the lit cigarette, he slid his hand into his pants pocket. I decided to act as though I hadn't seen it and engaged him in a lengthy conversation. It became hilarious. The more we talked, the shorter the cigarette got in his hand and the more he looked like a chimney. There was smoke swirling up out of his pants pocket and curling up behind his collar. Unable to restrain myself any longer, I finally said, just go ahead and finish your cigarette. Would you believe it? He denied he had a cigarette. <laughs> Within seconds, he dashed away and fled, which is probably good. Had we talked much longer, the poor man would have become a living sacrifice. <laughs> minister. When you hear the word, there's an image that comes to mind of what a minister looks like. 
an image that comes to mind of what a minister does and likes and doesn't like. Here's my guess. That image that comes to mind is of someone who has done something along these lines. Some point in their life, they felt a call of God to ministry. They've gone to school and studied for it. They've received a call by a church body. They've been placed in a local congregation. Maybe they've gone to seminary. They've gotten ordained. And now they are part of the professional group that we call often the clergy. My guess is, when you hear that word minister, that's the image that comes to mind. And it's understandable. In fact, one writer says, at least throughout history, says there was a certain sense of honor when one stepped into the ministry and a badge of shame that one wore if one left it. I can understand that. I was having a phone conversation with my conference president. Now, for those of you who may not be as well aware of SDA church structure, a conference is a sisterhood of churches in a certain area. The president oversees that work. So that's my boss or other pastor's boss. It wasn't in this conference. It was in another place, kind of a large state in the southwest. But anyway, I digress. I was on the phone with this conference president who was holding a letter in his hands. I knew what he had in his hands. He had gotten a letter from Jerry Davis, who at that time was the chair of the Department of Chaplain Services at the Medical Center, inviting me to join their staff. And my conference president said to me, you're not seriously thinking about this, are you? And I said, well, yes, actually, I've already accepted it. And then he said, why in the world would you leave the ministry? Now, don't be hard on him because that's a common understanding. It's one that I shared for many, many years, the ministry. Because of that, our central thought today might cause you to say, mm, I'm not so sure about that, Randy. Because here's our central thought today. As Christ's disciple." You are one of this church's ministers. As Christ's disciple, you are one of this church's ministers. Now, I'm going to have to guess there are two or three or four or ten of you who are backpedaling just a little bit, who are saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait just a minute, Randy. That's a bridge too far. You've got to unpack that for us. Well, I'll try. And I'll call for help on the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. I want to give a little bit of context because we're going to land right in the middle of a conversation. Paul is talking to his Ephesian friends about the body of Christ. He is saying the body of Christ needs to be united. It needs to be unified. And in the attempt to stay unified and grow toward maturity, God has placed certain gifts within the body. And those gifts need to operate in a fashion that will keep the body unified, keep it healthy, keep it growing. That's the context of what Paul is saying. So let's read some of the verses. I'm going to start with Ephesians 4, verse 7. I'm actually going to read the first verse from the New Living Translation. 
Because I think it captures particularly well the intent of Paul's words there. So here's Ephesians 4, 7 in LT. However, in light of all this about unity, he has given us, God has given us, each one of us, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So we ask, who has received a special gift? And Paul responds, each one of us. Each one. Do you know how you spell each? Y-O-U. He's given you a gift. Each one of us a gift. I understand. I understand that there may be members of our community hearing that right now and saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, Randy, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know how much I've struggled to figure out what in the world I have to offer. I look around at all these other people. I look at all the gifted people. I don't have anything. I didn't get one. I remember the story my dad told me. I could tell that even though it had been decades since it occurred, it was still an emotional story for him. He had done something. I don't know what it was. Kids do things, you know. Hadn't gotten the job done on time. Hadn't thought it through. Hadn't done it thoroughly from beginning to end. Who knows what it was. But his father lashed out. His father, my paternal grandfather, whom I barely knew, had gotten into the bottle and then couldn't get out again. And it caused a lot of rage, a lot of anger, a lot of abusive language. And on that particular day, when Dad hadn't done what he was supposed to have done, according to his father, his father yelled at him, Bobby, when they handed out the brains, you must have been behind the door. <laughs> decades later, after decades of effective ministry for Christ, as a pastor, evangelist, church administrator, I could still tell that that hit deep. And maybe that's where you are today. Randy, you don't understand. I was behind the door. I just want to hide. I don't want anybody else to know that. And then comes Paul, who writes, each, Y-O-U, each one of us, has been given a special gift in the body of Christ. Now, he's going to identify some specific gifts. Now, understand, Paul will write much more about this in other letters. The letter, the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, for example, or the letter he wrote to the Romans, he will talk about the different gifts. He'll give lists of gifts that have been given to the body. You may have gotten this gift or that gift or the other gift. We're going to go into that in January and February of next year. But that's not what he does here in Ephesians. His focus is not so much on the specific gifts that have been given, but on something else. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, now verse 11. He says, The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Notice that what he focuses on here is the people more than the gifts that they have been given. The gifts that are given, he says, are that some would be. So these people in your midst, 
have been given these gifts. I love the way it's put. It's very brief by Walter Liefeld, New Testament scholar, who says, in Ephesians 4, the gifts named are not abilities given to people. They are people given to the church. So understand what Paul is saying is that God has placed these gifts within these people's lives, and then he has taken these people and said, now you are the gift to the church. And he lists leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. They're all leaders. Now, there is some difference among New Testament scholars. Some say, well, those first two gifts, apostles and prophets, those passed away at the end of the early church. And there are others say, oh, no, 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 don't be so quick. Those gifts continue to be evident at times in the church. But wherever you stand on those first two gifts, the next two gifts, evangelists and pastor teachers, certainly continue in the church. And so, Paul says, God has given the church people with gifts. They're leaders. So what exactly are they to do? Well, I'm glad you asked, and so is Paul, because he'll continue. Verses 12 and 13, he tells us why God has done that. Verse 12, to equip the saints, that is the people of God, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So why has he given those people with gifts to the church? To equip the church for the work of ministry. Greek word is diakonos. Sometimes it's translated deacon. But much more often it's translated service or ministry. So these leaders are to equip the body for ministry. If you will, just two more quotes, one brief, one or other a little bit longer from a New Testament scholar who says, it is not the task of these gifted people to do all the work of the ministry. Their task is to prepare God's people for works of service, of ministry, of diakonia. So the leaders prepare the people for ministry. And then the other quote from Paul Stevens, each of us becomes a minister of that particular grace which we have been given for the sake of the church. Thus, the gifts of the Spirit for ministry are not mere functions or activities carried out by the members. The gifts are people, the men and women with whom you are connected in Christ. Not surprisingly, then, when Paul speaks of the gifts for ministry in verse 11, giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers as examples, the emphasis is not on these gifts, but on these people. In receiving the grace of Christ, we become ministers. We don't have a ministry. We are one. Grace has been given. That's the indicative. You will minister. That's the imperative. God's gifts are people endowed with a special grace from Christ for ministry because you have the gift of grace from Christ. You are a gift to the body. Seen this way, ministry is a natural and delightful duty. So we come back to our central thought. As Christ's disciple, for this church, you are God's minister 
in this church. You are God's ministers. Now, I know, I understand. I understand that you may be backpedaling at that point. In fact, if we just imagine this. Jerry and Sharon Hoyle gave our pastor a welcome this morning. Just imagine that Jerry and Sharon stood up here and said, Okay, church, today we're going to do something very special. We're going to feature ministers. And so right here during the welcome, we want to invite all of you who are ministers to come up and line up here on the platform. My guess, and I suspect it's yours as well, is that the people who would stand up, who would get up out of the congregation, are those people, remember our image of the pastor, of the minister? Those people, professionally paid members of the so-called clergy. Those would be the people who would get up. If they said that, and the entire congregation stood, we would be shocked. I was flying back, flying back from the Northwest, Walla Walla University, when our kids were students there. I was on the plane, was tired, had, had reclined the seat the full inch, and had leaned my head back, and had gone to sleep. And I mean, gone to sleep. I mean, it was head back, mouth, it was ugly sleeping, you know, but I was out of it. I was totally out of it. So I didn't realize what had happened. What had happened when I was asleep was that they had a medical emergency. Several rose up from me. I realized that later when I was back awake and with it and saw the gentleman lying in the aisle and saw them working on him. But I was sound asleep during this. The flight attendant walking up the aisle had known of it, and so she was urgently trying to find somebody to help. And right about the time she walked by me, in a very loud and, I thought, strident voice, which immediately woke me up, she said, we need a doctor. Stand up and come to the front. Well, I just kind of came out of sleep, and you know that moment when you're still trying to figure out where you are and what happened? Oh, I heard stand up, so I tried to stand up. <laughs> I, I was later grateful I had the seatbelt on because I couldn't get up. And, and as soon as it caught me, I sat back down. I thought a minute. I said, wait, wait a second. I'm not a doctor. What am I doing standing up? not calling me that may be exactly how you feel those of you who are ministers stand up and you say that's not me no way but it is so what we have to wrestle with is that right back here is where the church of Jesus Christ was founded. Jesus created his church in the world. The early leaders, apostles, disciples were in on that opening wave. But now 2,000 years have passed. And sometimes we look at this church today while looking back at that one and we say, what happened? I mean, there are some things that are the same and similar, but so much has changed. For example... Five terms. Five terms that some have suggested, if you understand what they were then and what they have become now, you will understand what has gone wrong and how it can be repaired. We've already looked at three of those. Clergy, laity, and last week, priest, and today, minister. Minister. Do you know that in the New Testament, there is no place where that appears, diaconia, service, ministry. There's no place where that occurs to describe a group that is set apart from the body and is somehow elevated above the body. It's not there. In fact, listen to one more quote. Greg Ogden, writing about these issues and this passage, says this. 
far from ministry being associated with a few. Ministry is coterminous, it overlaps completely, in other words, with the entire body. There is only one ministry, the ministry of the people of God. As Christ's disciple, you are ministers in this church. You have a ministry. Certainly that term is used in Scripture as a noun. It is also a verb. Ministers do ministry. So what does that mean? For those of us who worship here together each Sabbath, for those who participate in worship, what does it mean to say that? Well, it might mean that you hear somebody say, we need help. Maybe they'll say, we need help with our, our shuttle cart drivers. And so you say, I can do that. And so you volunteer. You sign up. You become a shuttle cart driver. And so you help people who would otherwise struggle to make it to the sanctuary, to get to worship. You help them by bringing them and returning them to their cars. And on the way, you listen. You interact. You get to know. You encourage. You comfort. You bless. You're a minister. You're doing ministry. Or maybe you hear about the literature ministry, a very active, passionate ministry in our congregation. People who are driven by the desire to put the printed page in every place they can so that people who have a few moments, people who have a need, might reach for a pamphlet and might read in there, God has always loved you. God has a plan for your life. Would you like to know God? And you say, I can do that. I can stock some racks, doctor's office, healthcare center, a business. I can do that. And so you give yourself to that. You are a minister doing a ministry. Or maybe you say, I didn't deserve it, but somehow God wove into the fabric of my life a certain gift with music. And after thousands of hours of practice, I come here and I see there are opportunities. And so you get involved. You become a part of the brass, the orchestra, the choir. Many people would call you a musician. Paul would say, wait, 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 wait. You are a musician, but in this context, you're a minister doing a ministry. Or maybe you say, my ministry lies outside of these four walls. My heart, my passion is for people out there where the night is dark and where lighted candles make a difference. We have many in our midst for whom that is the reality. I'll point to just one. Her name is Dorothy Brooks. Dorothy has been, and she and her husband, Chris, have been members of our congregation for many, many years. In fact, Dorothy has been a child life specialist up at Loma Linda University Medical Center for, well, this last week, LLUH celebrated the anniversaries of a whole list of employees, five years, 10 years, 15, 25, 30 years. They were celebrated. Dorothy was celebrated for 35 years. She said to me, it's 38, but who's counting? 35 years. Child life specialist. She was interacting one day with a social worker who looked at her work with these children, these, these 
tiny, fragile creatures of God who are trying to negotiate some of the rawest moments of human life. And the social worker said to Dorothy, in your work with those kids, do you ever wonder if there's maybe something else you can do for, for specifically for kids in grief? Dorothy said, yes, I love that idea. She got together with some of her colleagues. They talked it through. And thus was born something called Camp Good Grief. The story, which I have made very short, has providential fingerprints all over it. Camp Good Grief. Would kids want to come? Go talk about your grief? Camp Good Grief begin to make a difference in people's lives. Enter a family into the frame of the picture. John and Monica Klein. John is a graduate of Loma Linda University School of Medicine. Monica is a graduate of Loma Linda University School of Allied Health Professions. I had the privilege, the wonderful privilege, of officiating at their wedding. It was beautiful. It was on the beach. I mean, on the beach, barefoot on the beach. There were four of us present. John and Monica, because it was their wedding, <laughs> and Anita and me. Spectacular scenery. Beautiful, intimate moment. And from that moment, from that beautiful couple, came four precious boys. I'll see if I can keep them straight because they're all J's. Justin and Jackson and Jordan and Jeremiah. It was that third one, Jordan. Somehow his, his, his body rebelled against itself. And there erupted a struggle for life and death. It unfolded over a period of time. And then, just a bit short of his eighth birthday, he went to his rest in Jesus. Crushing, searing pain for the family. Those beautiful parents, no parent should have to bury their child. Eight-year-old, seven-and-a-half. And what about those three brothers? I remember thinking, the parents, there are ways we can minister and talk. But what about those boys? Is there someone, somewhere? And then I thought, there's a minister at my church. A minister named Dorothy who does this ministry beyond our walls. Dorothy could, well, yes. Monica, well, they're not sure what they do there. And then they went. With Monica's permission, I read to you a text that she sent to me the day that her two boys, Justin and Jackson, Return from Camp Good Grief, right at the holiday time of year. Good morning, Randy. 
Thank you for your steadfast prayers for our family. It is true that the holidays are so difficult and that the layers and complexities of grief can make growth and healing seem elusive at times. While this, this may be true right now, right in the middle of it all, I see beauty for ashes being played out before my very eyes. So this morning, I want to take a moment to share with you two ashes of beauty. First, Camp Good Grief was a tremendous experience for Justin and Jackson. They are anxiously awaiting for the next 350 days to pass to get to go once again. Thank you for sharing this opportunity with us. Second, the JoJo community. JoJo is what friends and family call Jordan. The JoJo community gathered together and assembled and gave Thanksgiving baskets to the families at Chalk, which is near their home, Children's Hospital of Orange County. Gave Thanksgiving baskets to the families at Chalk this Thanksgiving. The nurse manager has called me several times to share specific stories. The gift these baskets have been for the families and staff have been far-reaching in ways I could never have dreamt of. The blessing they have been for us and for our boys has also been far-reaching. Thank you for ministering to our family. God has been good to us. Blessings on you and your family today. Dorothy is a minister of this church, just like you are. Her ministry happens out there as yours may. Your ministry may happen in here. But make no mistake about it. As Christ's disciple, you are a minister at this church. Now notice what happened. John and Monica, and then Justin and Jackson. Jeremiah was still a bit too young. Then Justin and Jackson were touched. And then they got baskets together and they went and they touched other lives so that somewhere in Orange County, a family at a Thanksgiving time of year received a basket that deeply touched and moved them with no awareness that the genesis of that was a minister at Loma Linda University Church. You are a minister in this church as Christ's disciple. So if... If someone ever says to you, what is your image of a minister? When you think of the term minister, what do you think of? I know you'll say, well, it's certainly not what I saw in the mirror this morning. You'll probably think that. But hold on. If somebody says that to you, what do you think of when you think of a minister? Who is a minister? What does a minister look like? I hope you say this to them. I hope you say my name is John. My name is Mary. I'm a minister at Loma Linda University Church because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Because I'm his disciple, he has called me to gospel ministry. And then look them in the eye and smile and say, how may I serve you?
God of grace. We're deeply moved to think that each one of us, Lord, we don't deserve it. We half the time don't know what we're doing. But each one of us is called to minister in your name. Because as has often been said, you don't call the qualified, you qualify the called. And you're calling each one of us. So, Lord, let us understand our God-given identity. Fill us with your spirit and send us out to minister in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we ponder the light that God has called us to be in the world, would you listen to the beauty of our postman? Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.